ahead and do just a practical application. You can turn to your neighbor, give them a slap, and if they don't turn the other cheek, then this is the sermon for them. And if you too don't turn the other cheek, that goes for you at home if you're watching this alone, you're gonna have to maybe grab a roommate. No. I would title this sermon, How to Get Slapped. So uh, by the end, you'll know how to get slapped. No. The reason I want to call this How to Get Slapped is hopefully to grab your attention a little bit, maybe make you pay attention a little bit closer. But it's not because we all need to be a bit of a punching bag for the world. That's not what this text is about. It's been used to kind of emphasize that or to lean into that, but that's not what this text is saying. The real slap in the face is the one, or the one that kind of I hope we all leave with today is not from your neighbor, uh, but a slap that you're going to feel when we begin to understand what this text is really saying and how it really has an impact on our life and what it really means for us today. So it's not a physical slap, but I can tell you as I have been spending this week thinking and meditating on this passage, uh, there were more than a few moments when I really had the feeling of being slapped in the face. It's a hard text. It's an incredibly challenging bit of text. And I would wager that if you'll stay with me today, uh, every single one of us or everyone who hears this today in this room or later maybe online is going to feel at least a little bit of a sting in some area of your life when you really begin to think about what this text means. Some of you are going to leave, I think, with a more of a feeling of a giant handprint across the face because uh, it's going to hit you pretty hard in some areas of your life. But I think all of us are going to feel at least a little bit of a sting when we begin to understand what this text means applied to our life. So stick with me. You guys still with me? All right, good. The text, uh, this text is really about humility. It's about dealing with pride and seeing an evidence of a changed heart in how we react, how we respond to situations, how we respond when life seems unfair, when things come against us and we want to immediately react. Whether it's a slap in the face or someone wrongfully accusing you or talking bad about you, someone taking advantage of you, maybe disagreements that you might have with how things are governed, or even wrongful feelings or a wrongful love of stuff and money. It's going to deal with all of these issues, and it's really about heart change and a perspective. This text is going to deal with some deeper issues, and I think for some of you, it's going to hit maybe a bit close to home, uh, so brace yourself, because it might get painful. In fact, I kind of hope it does because it means that it is something you needed to hear. And as I said, that was my experience this week in just simply thinking and meditating on this text and how to apply it to our life. Now, to understand this text, let's begin with where are we? Where, where is this text? If you just joined us, if you just uh, are watching this online for the first time and you have no idea what we're talking about or where this is even found, uh, you can easily misinterpret it, easily misunderstand what this text is meaning and what it's, how, how, do, how do we use it? What do we apply this? And so we have to remember where we are. As I say often here, context matters. The Bible is written in its context, and so we want to think about where we are. And when we look at this text, uh, we need to keep that in mind especially. And where are we? We're in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're just joining us, we've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. 
And we've come now to this section that, again, is, is well known. It's often even quoted by uh, people who are not a part of the church uh, to point out different, uh, I would say, worldviews. Uh, but I don't think that's what it's really meant to mean. So we have to keep in mind the context of where it is. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. And we want to always, when we're looking at anything in the Sermon on the Mount, we always have to go back to the beginning. We always have to look at this, this first section, which is the Beatitudes. I'm not going to read through them all, uh, but we spent a lot of time. You can go back and listen to that later. Uh, we went through the Beatitudes. We have these kind of just expressions of who we are, what a changed heart looks like, and the blessings that are associated with them. And this text is depicting the attributes of one who has adopted the Beatitudes. So first and foremost, it is impossible to live this way if you aren't a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Christ. You need to understand that you have to be something in order to live out the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. So how do we adopt the attributes of the Beatitudes? Well, first we have to be adopted. We have to be adopted. We have to be given a new heart in Christ because we've chosen to follow after Christ. We've given our hearts, we've given our life to him and then he calls us sons and daughters. We are adopted into the family of God. We are given new hearts. We are new creatures in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit we are being transformed into the image of Christ. This is the start and the foundation. If we want to apply anything else, we have to be this first the Beatitudes are a description and a depiction of, of who we are, right? We need to be poor in spirit. We need to mourn over our sin. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to be pure in heart, etc. You can go through all the Beatitudes and look at them, and we need to ask ourselves, is this describing who I am? Because I need to be that in order to go and do the practical. The rest of the sermon is going to go through these practical ways that describe the kind of person who has this new heart, who has this transformation, seen in how they live, how they seek to live. Now, that's it, in, in the ideal, right? So just to be clear, we're still in this world. We still live in a sinful world. And so this is the ideal that Jesus is depicting in the Sermon on the Mount, what we're aiming for. This is the ideal. But we, of course, are not perfect yet, though some people think they are. They're not there yet. We're not quite perfect. And our perfection as defined, just to be clear, our perfection as defined comes from the righteousness that's been imputed to us or on us or by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's where our perfection is, through our surrender and our understanding of our sin and that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and imputed his righteousness onto us. But in that, we have a choice then. We have a choice we have a choice in how we're going to live. We can walk by the Spirit or we can walk by the flesh. In Galatians, uh, Paul talks about this in detail. There are two paths. And really, I would say you can bring that down into every moment of your day. Every day, you have a choice to walk by the Spirit or to walk in the flesh. So that's the one thing we have to keep in mind before we get into the text itself. We have to consider the context of where this is. Another thing to consider regarding the context of this passage is that this is uh, within the Sermon on the Mount, but it's also six within six statements, I say that 10 times fast, six statements uh, that are a kind of uh, antithesis between what was understood about the law, what was understood about the law at the time and what was taught by the Pharisees and the reality of how it should be lived out as disciples of Christ. So there's, that's the distinction. We have to put that whole picture in mind. 
So the difference between how they understood how it was being taught and kind of how, and how Jesus is saying, this is how my disciples, my followers who have the attributes of the Beatitudes have changed hearts. This is the ideal of how they should live this principle out. And these are the, you have heard, but I tell you statements. And there are six of them that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount following the Beatitudes. So all that in mind, let's look now at the text again. You have heard. So here's the statement that Jesus is making. This is the full statement you have heard, but I say statement. You have heard eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. That's, and everything else is centered around that statement. That's what we're looking at today. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth was in the law. It was found in several places in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It was given in the law and it was given for a purpose. And we also have to keep in mind that in all six of these, con- you know, these contrasting statements that Jesus makes, he's, he's careful to always say, you have heard. He never says it was written. Now, it was written. It was written. And it was the law. But he mentions, he mentions it in the, in the realm of you have heard for a reason. I think I point that out because in these six statements, Jesus, Jesus makes the, the understanding of the law had been greatly distorted from its original intention, right? So they, it wasn't, this is the law. It was, you have heard. This is your interpretation. This is how they were depicting it. And it was a wrong understanding. And when we consider the context of the instruction, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, we look back. We won't do it now for time's sake, but uh, if you look back and see where that was given in the Old Testament law, we see it was given for the judges over Israel, right? And to help them in their rulings when things were brought before them. And it was as a general restraint. It was a general restraint when it came to people, people's retaliation of injustice. It was a restraint. And, and in Jesus' day, it had kind of become something else. It had moved from this kind of judicial restraint into the realm of a rule of retaliation, of a rule of retaliation, meaning this was given so that the, the natural tendency, the human nature that we have, which tends towards a desire to retaliate tenfold, right? Somebody hits you in the face. You don't want to just hit them with equal strength. You want to like knock them out. Like you want to, we have this natural tendency. We want to get back at people. And so God put this cap, this restriction so that it would be within that something that was just, that justice would be served. God is a God who is just. So if someone hurts you, there's this kind of part of us that wants to hurt them worse back. And so God instilled this just law to say eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. If you look at where it was given, there's, he kind of extends that into all of these areas. And most of the law is kind of fits into that same kind of idea of a restraint on retaliation. It wasn't a rule. And, and this was meant to aid the judges of Israel uh, when a case was brought before them. What it had become, on the other hand, is a means of demonstrating personal justice toward your neighbor. It would become like a, a rule of retaliation rather than a restraint, right? Rather than don't go further than this, it was like now I am owed. So taken out of its original and intentional sphere, it had become something toxic. And what Jesus does here is, is incredible. Rather than really showing them kind of the flaw in their understanding and their misunderstanding of the law, he kind of takes their understanding and tells them 
what it really means when lived out. So he's saying, if you want to take that principle and really apply it to your life and you want to be my disciple, this is what it will look like. This is what it will look like. And you were way off in your understanding. They understood that eye for eye meant this kind of tit for tat, this you hurt me, I hurt you back. You cut me off in traffic, you better believe I'm cutting you off back. God forgive us. That's what justice looks like. That's what I'm owed. That was the understanding. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You want to apply this truth of what its original intention to today into your life and you want to be my disciple to your personal life and you want to live as someone who's been given a new heart, then I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist an evil person. That's radical. That's a radical statement. But, but they, they, they hit me first. I, I got to hit them back. They cut me off first. They hurt me first. They did it to me first. I'm owed that. He's saying, no, no. Do not resist an evil person. And we need to be careful when we understand this. And we're going to go through it. It says, do not resist an evil person, first of all. Let's note that. An evil person. God separates the evil from the person because this is not to say that we should not resist evil in general. This is an important distinction. The Bible is very clear that we should resist evil. We should resist the evil one. We should resist evil. We should flee from temptation. We should resist evil. And that also goes into the realm of we should stand for justice. We should defend the defenseless. That's how we can be clear that this is talking about something else. So the Bible is very clear on those other issues. When Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek, this does not apply to situations of war or civil justice. That's not where this is meant to be applied. The Bible has things to say about those issues, but it's not here. I want to really be clear on that. We want to bring it down to what is Jesus saying in this text, in the context, because I'm telling you, there's enough here to apply to our life on its own. We don't need to add more in that isn't there. Jesus gives us a very powerful statement here that we are not to resist an evil person as a contrast to this eye for eye, tooth for tooth, this kind of tit for tat understanding of the law. To best understand exactly what this means and how to apply it to our life, let's consider these then four examples Jesus gives. So we have this base statement that he clearly defines or clearly kind of puts out there for us. And then to help us understand it, he gives these four examples. But I think it's really important to note, because, this, because of how this has been used throughout history, these are examples. The statement is the statement. Then we, he gives us these examples to help us to understand it. It's not something that we can live legalistically. We cannot live this legalistically. We have to be careful in how we understand this. It's dealing with the heart. So these examples will help us to see how to apply it, how to apply that we should not resist an evil person. Just quickly, the four examples, I know we just read it, but uh, if, and we'll go through each after this. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you, and take your shirt, give them your coat as well. If anyone forces you to, to go one mile, go with them too. If anyone, give to anyone who asks you or anyone who 
wants to borrow from you. Those are these kind of four principles, these four examples that Jesus gives. And so we can ask ourselves then, what do these four examples tell us to help us understand what Jesus means in, these, in this statement? Notice all four are connected with personal injustice. It's not dealing with these principles in general, right? It's personal offense. It's always you. If somebody slaps you, if somebody sues you, if someone forces you to go with them a mile, someone asks to borrow it from you, it's always dealing with personal. Jesus is not dealing with these ideas as a general, in a general sense or general justice. And we can kind of think about that in contrasting what Jesus' own actions. When Jesus sees how the people are profaning the house of God, he runs through the temple, flipping tables, whipping people. Jesus was not being, in any sense there, a pacifist. And if we applied that truth to this text that we're looking at today, then we would have to see that Jesus was, contra- was uh, contradicting himself, which is highly unlikely. <laughs> Jesus is not contradicting himself. So we have to then ask, what is he trying to say? Jesus was standing up for what was right in that situation. He was standing, for, uh, standing up against injustice because people had come there to worship God and instead they were being taken advantage of in God's own house and Jesus could not stand for that. So when Jesus, Jesus defends justice, so he's not talking about that. What then does this text mean? How do we apply it? And I'll say again, if, if we're really paying attention, I think that this text is going to leave a bit of a sting on our hearts when we realize what Jesus is saying. So with that, let's look at each of the four examples that he gives us. Number one, number one, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, what does that mean? How do we apply this? Does that mean that if somebody attacks you, that you should just stand there if they're just hitting you again and again? If someone comes at you with a baseball bat, I mean, where do we draw the line? Is that, is that what this is saying, that we should just always lay down and, and let ourselves be attacked? No, I do not believe that's what this is saying. I don't see that. It doesn't match up with other texts. It doesn't match up with, what, with the other examples. When we look at, the, at, at this example, we have to, again, remember, this is not a formula to be taken legalistically. We can't say, all right, well, then that means no matter what happens, I have to never fight back. That's not how this is meant to be viewed. It's not meant to be legalistic. I hope that that's very clear. We're not not meant to live legalistically. And to take Jesus' words and live them legalistically is wrong. It would be wrong to think that Jesus means a physical attack cannot be resisted or defended against. But we also have to be clear that there will be times that we should defend ourselves and there are going to be times that it would be better not to. There will be times that it would be better not to. And so how we judge that is going to be a lot to do with our heart and our perspective. So I'll give you an example. I read about this and it was, bear with me, I wasn't there, but uh, it was about a boxer who had been converted to Christ and was confronted on the street. I, I don't know if he was punched or if someone spit in his face or insulted him in, in some kind of in, in a very insulting way. And this man chose to look at, the other, at this other man and say that he forgave him. 
and it really shocked the other guy. And then this, this boxer went home. But that boxer, if he wanted to, he could have laid that guy out in one blow. And that guy would have been just unconscious on the street. But instead, he saw an opportunity to show grace, to show forgiveness, to show love, to represent Christ to this man. Because he, it was, his pride wasn't affected. He knew who he was. He knew what his, where his identity lied. It lied in Christ. So he had no reason to retaliate. He had no reason to retaliate. On the other hand, we can think, I, I just thought of this uh, example from some of the things I was looking at. There's probably a lot of examples, maybe some better ones. But like, for instance, if a man was, or somebody on the, was on the street um, and intoxicated and just acting belligerent, offending, and, and just walking around maybe attacking people, I think that there is a good reason that he should be restrained. He should be restrained. We shouldn't just say, well, oh, let him be. Let him do what he's doing. It wouldn't be loving to do that. It would not be loving or gracious to allow him to continue in that manner. And his offense is not personal. Even if, if somebody is intoxicated and comes up and spits in your face, it's not really personal. They're not in the right mind for it to be a personal attack. And Jesus is always dealing here with personal offenses and personal attacks and our personal responsibility. It's not general ideas and or general uh, justice. And so I think we have to use wisdom in each situation we come to. And for a better understanding also when it comes to how to judge that, uh, we can think about what this actually means when it says slap here. Uh, I read quite a few uh, commentaries that agreed that it was most likely referring to a backhanded, like kind of a, a smack. Uh, and so it wasn't really so much it was more about the insulting nature and insulting kind of gesture uh, that it encompassed not so much about an assaulting nature. It wasn't so much about somebody like physically hurting someone, more about somebody really, I mean, it was like the ultimate, I mean, I don't, that sounds pretty, if you do that to me, I would have a hard time turning the other cheek. That sounds pretty insulting, just whack. And so I think when we think about that, especially if you if haven't been, if you, know, if you haven't really experienced anything like that, we can kind of bring that into other areas of our life. This means we can extend this into all forms of insulting behavior. Someone who's insulting you or mocking you or ridiculing you or slandering you, whether to your face or behind your back, you know about it and you can choose to forgive. You don't need to retaliate. You don't need to then go and talk bad about them to everyone else or, or like try to get in that last word and, and kind of make sure that they feel a bit smaller when they go home. You don't need to do that. That, I think, is where this principle really begins to hit home. Jesus gives us his own example that even though he was insulted and spoken against as a, as a glutton, as a drunkard, as an illegitimate child, as a blasphemer, as a madman, they called him. He never gives a retort. He lives this principle out and we can follow his example. I don't, I don't need to retaliate. I don't, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't have a weight on my heart because I have a new heart that belongs to Christ. Jesus never needed to retaliate to get in the last word, even though he could in any of those moments. And even as he was beaten and spit on and mocked, ridiculed and nailed to a cross, he gave no reaction. He spoke no ill word against them, though it was well within his rights to do so. He had every right to stand up. He had every right 
to call them out. He had every right to use his power to retaliate. And if he had, he, they would have not for, soon forgot it. It's important to keep that in mind. But we also have to, again, go back to this, both sides of it. There are times that we need to humble ourselves. We need to say, I don't need to react. But we also want to remind ourselves that it's wrong to think that Jesus means that there is no place for punishment or retribution in society in general, right? Jesus here speaks of personal relationships and not to the function of government or resisting in when it comes to the government resisting evil, right? And we can think of Romans 13, 1 through 4. You can read it. We, we should submit to the government. The government has a role, has a, a place in this, in resisting evil. This is specifically addressed to personal insult and personal responsibility. And the government itself has its own responsibility to restrain one who would physically assault another. So we have to kind of bring it out of that realm, I think. This is talking about something specific and as with most of what we've looked at in the Sermon on the Mount, it's always coming back to the heart. It's always coming back to the heart, having the right perspective and understanding and living through that changed heart we've given. So if someone offends you and you feel the need to enforce justice through retaliation, and honestly, it, there are situations where it might be maybe someone shoves you or maybe someone, maybe someone does slap you in the face, or maybe it's somebody talking bad about you, or maybe it's somebody insulting you or calling you crazy or mad for what you believe. It could be all sorts of different things, belittling you for your past or your future or whatever, your identity in any way. And we have this need or this desire to want to get them back. We can ask ourselves a question, and this is how we can really decide or try to understand what is the right action. We can ask ourselves, why? Why? Why do I need, why do I have this feeling of a need to defend myself here? Is, am, I, am I wanting to defend what is right and what is just because I want to stand for justice or do I simply need to re retaliate because of my own, for my own self-preservation, to save face because of my own pride? How you answer that question will give you a pretty good insight on how to respond in any situation, whether it is loving to take action, to defend justice, which could be the case, or to swallow your pride and perhaps create an opportunity to demonstrate God's grace. So you know what? They can think what they want about me. I want to show them love. I want to show them forgiveness. With that, let's take a look at the next example Jesus gives us. Number two, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So at that time, it was lawful, uh, through Jewish law, it was lawful for someone to sue another for their tunic, their kind of their inner garments, uh, and, uh, but never for the outer cloak. Uh, that was something that was necessary. They needed to keep warm if they were traveling. It was a survival thing, so that God kind of put that as the cap. You can take, you can sue for the inner garment, not the outer garment. But what is the heart principle behind this example? Let's keep this in mind. What is the heart principle behind this example? We have a natural tendency to demand our rights, to demand what is owed us, to be able to keep what is ours and to pursue to the best and full of our ability all that we can gain through legal means. It's a part of our nature, especially here in the West. 
uh, the States, even more so maybe. And this is a wrong understanding of who you are in Christ. It's a wrong understanding of who you are in Christ. You're, you're finding your identity and your purpose and, and your rights in the wrong place. If I understand that I am poor in spirit, which is to say that I am spiritually bankrupt, which is to say that nothing good is owed me. Nothing good is owed me. Everything I have is given to me by the grace of God and the goodness of God and the love of God and I have nothing but a grateful heart when I really begin to understand that about who I am. So what is it to me if they take my cloak also? What is it to me? I have been given salvation through Jesus Christ. Every breath I have has been given to me by the grace of God. I'm owed nothing, yet I've received so much. There's a heart issue here. Can't live this legalistically with an emphasis on demanding our rights. Finding the exact line that we can stay within so that we benefit the most. This shows that you don't understand the true nature of the grace of God and the love you've received through a new heart in Christ. And what really matters here is that when we have the right understanding, we also begin to demonstrate the image of Christ and the love of Christ to the world around us in a way that is impactful and powerful. How shocking, how shocking when someone comes against you with a legal grievance and you are willing to go above and beyond and to give them even more than they ask. Whether they realize it or not, they will have experienced the love of Christ. In a small way, they have seen, that, seen the grace, what grace looks like, which is to receive more than, more than you deserve. Now, without going into much detail, we do always have to remember, we're not trying, we can't make this a legalistic kind of way that we govern everything that we do without going into, yeah, all the realm that we could here. I do want to remind you that this is not saying that you should always ignore your rights altogether. That's not what this is implying. There will be moments when we should point out our rights, especially for the sake of demanding that justice or demanding the justice behind those rights and standing for that justice. So there are times that we need to be firm. But we, we cannot be legalistic in understanding this text. We need to understand the spirit behind it. Different situations will require different applications with all four of these examples. It's always best to go back again. Look at your heart. Ask yourself, the questions, why? What is my motivation? Is there an opportunity here to show the love of Christ? And is that opportunity greater than anything else I would gain? Ask yourself these questions. Am I simply demanding my rights because of my pride, my insecurity, my fear? We have to be careful and it's always good to be checking your own heart. As we begin to grow in Christ, walking in the Spirit daily, we'll begin to have a deeper understanding of how to navigate each situation we face. When we are governed by the grace and the love of God that we've received, when we're really governed by that daily, that all the fruit of the Spirit would be then seen in every decision we make 
How can I show love or joy or peace or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? How can I demonstrate that in this situation when my instinct is to demand my rights, when my instinct is to fight back? How can I show something else? How can I show the love of Christ? Again, there are situations when we need to defend justice, defend what is right, but it's good to ask, your, ask yourself and check your heart, find out your motivation. Let's look at the third example he gives us. Number three, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, during this time, uh, Palestine was occupied by Rome, so Roman soldiers had the legal right, they had the legal right to demand anyone to come and carry their load, whatever they were carrying, with them for a mile. Uh, so, no matter what, you can, you can imagine like just kind of doing your thing, you're walking, maybe going for a stroll, enjoying the sun, and suddenly a soldier comes, he's got a really heavy load, he says, I need you to carry this one mile, and it's like in the opposite direction of where you were going, and you're just feeling like, what in the world, this is the worst. No matter what you were doing, no matter what was going on, you had to go with him, you had to carry that load for a mile, and Jesus is giving this kind of alternative a way of demonstrating, again, the grace of God that we ourselves have received through a new nature viewed in the Beatitudes. And it's only possible if you have that new heart. Because he doesn't just saying like, just force yourself to go two miles. I mean, on the one hand, you could just take the responsibility. You could go with the soldier grumbling, complaining the whole time, mumbling under your breath. Then you go home, you complain to your wife, you complain to all your friends about how the, just what the horrible day you had. Man, I was you know, just doing my thing and then I had to go this mile in the other direction. And, but I feel like I, you know, I, had, I had to do the right thing so I went even further, doing it grudgingly, complaining. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about, we don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to just do the bare minimum. Jesus is saying, change your perspective. Live with a new heart. Live as a disciple. Don't just obey, don't just do the bare minimum, go above and beyond. Because let me tell you, first of all, that's gonna really mess with that soldier's head. He's gonna go home and tell his wife, man, the strangest thing happened to me today. You know, I was doing my thing, grabbed a Jew, of course, to carry my load, I'm not gonna do it myself. Forced him to carry it with me a mile in the opposite direction, got a good laugh out of it, thought it was, I was really ruined his day. And he went with me at two miles. And the whole time he's talking about this Jesus and he's just filled with, with joy. He was excited to be there. I don't know what to do with this. What would it be like? And we can apply that to a lot of situations. Our employers, sometimes laws that are in place, going above and beyond with joy, with grace, with love, with peace. I think this can be applied to laws in general, that as Christians, we should be good law-abiding citizens, even when it seems unfair. This was a law. This was, it's not a fair law. It wasn't fair for them to do that. It wasn't fair for them to have to walk a mile. That's unfair. They could have been like, man, this sucks. This is not fair. This is a stupid law. She's saying, no, don't just obey it. Go above and beyond. This one hits me pretty hard. Now, I do want to be clear that there are times when we should push back against wrongful uh, obligations or, or regulations and laws that are put in place. There are definitely, there are a lot of laws in all over the world that, that we as Christians should not 
should not feel very comfortable with and we should be pushing back against. We want to do it in a right way, though. We want to do it in a righteous way, not in rebellion, but demonstrating truth and wisdom and love and grace. So we want to be clear about that as well. We know that we are sojourners here. We're just passing through. We belong to a different kingdom. We are children of God. So we can submit ourselves to the authority of this world without grumbling, without complaining, because this life is temporary and we know our eternal home is much greater than this. It doesn't matter if I have to walk another mile with this soldier, work those extra hours when I don't deserve to. Maybe there's some situations in your own life you can apply it to. I'll let you uh, take that further. We don't need to grumble and complain because we know, we know the truth. We know where we're going and we've been given a new heart, a new perspective. So let's begin to express that in how we live. Express that new self, that new kingdom that we're destined to be a part of. A kingdom of selflessness where there's no need for retaliation, no need to demand our rights. We should want to begin to live that out today as citizens, as employees, as students, where we are now. And I would say a huge part of that is a means of demonstrating the kingdom that's to come to this world that we're in now. Number four, last example he gives us, he says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So what is the heart issue with this? What is the heart issue? The heart issue is to, is to not hold too tightly to possessions of this world. That's the perspective here. It's just money. It's just stuff. To have a heart of compassion for those who are in need. To love others to have a love for others that is always greater than your reliance on your own stuff. And this is, an, this is a direct evidence of a new heart, and we can see that also in 1 John 3, uh, verse 17 to 18. If anyone has material possessions, I think most of us here, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Leave it to John. Really just, that is a slap in the face for you. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Powerful. But again, I do want to remind us, we can't take this legalistically either. We always must consider love and representing Christ to the world. What I mean by that is it's not always loving to give to someone who asks you. It's not always loving to give to someone who asks you. Someone, so we can't make that as a general principle. No matter, if, if that was true, I'd go and ask all of you guys for money right after the service and test you. No. It's not always loving to give to someone who asks. Someone might be struggling with drugs or alcohol and blindly just giving them money is not loving. That's not loving. It's not gracious. It's foolish. And it's going to cause more harm than good. But on the other hand, if there is someone in your life 
that you know is in need genuinely to the best of your knowledge and you have it within your power to help them and you choose not to, ask yourself why. Why? What's holding you back? Is it fear? Are you trusting too much in money and belongings? Are you just lazy, selfish? What prevents you from helping them? How you answer that question is going to really help you to determine whether you're on the right path or not, whether you're following Christ and the image of Christ and representing him to this world or not. Of course, sometimes helping might look different, right? A lot of you are students here and don't have like huge bank accounts necessarily. Sometimes help might look different in each situation. So it could be finances, it could be just cooking a meal for someone who's in need or, or maybe just giving some of your time to someone. But all of us have some means usually to help someone. And when we see that and we don't have pity, John is like, how could the love of God even be in that person? That's, whew, that's the slap in the face. So we have to ask ourselves why. What's holding me back? Always let a love for the person be your ultimate motivation to love them. And that, again, might, that might be giving them money. It might be giving them whatever they're asking or whatever they're wanting to borrow from you. It, it could be helping them to overcome an addiction or supporting them in many different ways. But if you're not willing to, we should ask ourselves why. Jesus is dealing with principles of the heart. Jesus is dealing with principles of the heart in all four of these examples. And if you see the, word, if you see the world through this perspective, eye for eye, in a legalistic way, you're going to be very slow to bless others, to give to the one in need. Because why would you give to them what's rightfully yours? You earned it. It's yours. This is a wrong understanding of who you are in Christ. Because if you know who you are in Christ, you know you have more than anything this world could give you. Anything this world has to offer. There's no amount of money in a bank account that can equal what we have in Christ alone. So in conclusion, if someone slaps you in the face, literally, or insults you, or simply wants to just demonstrate their anger, their frustration towards you, or is rude towards you, respond with love. Respond with love. That will look different in different situations. But respond with love. A soft answer turns away wrath, the Bible tells us. I've seen this in my own life, I can tell you. A soft answer does turn away wrath. You can do this because you know that vengeance is the Lord's. I don't need to defend myself. I have God to do that. And we don't boast in ourselves, so we don't need to hold on to our pride. We boast only in the grace of God, in our spiritual bankruptcy. Second, don't demand your legal rights in every situation because in the end, you're a child of the judge of all judges, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and he stands for you. And if he stands for you, who can stand against you? Third, go above and beyond what is demanded of you. As a citizen, because this life is temporary and your ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom to come, and we can represent that 
now in the way that we live and give to the one who asks because everything you have has been given to you by the grace of God. And always check your heart. Check your heart in any situation. The Bible says in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think that's the premise of this text. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil. Don't, don't feel like I need to react. I need to respond. I need to fight back. I need to demand my rights. I need to hold on to my stuff. Overcome evil with good. And that's not just in the, in the one-on-one situations, but in the way that we live. And every time we're in those situations and we represent this well, we're representing Christ. We're representing the love of God in this world that is filled with evil. We're bringing light into a dark world as we are called to do. So let us be slow to anger, quick to forgive, never holding too tightly to anything in this world, but clinging with all of our heart, with all of our might to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And let us trust that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will continually be transformed into the image of Christ and that we can demonstrate this change to give the world a glimpse of the kingdom to come. Amen. I invite the band to come up, so I'll close in prayer. Yes, Father, we thank you for this word. I know for me, Father, it, it hits hard in a few spots. I hope that there are many here today that it hits hard because we need that, Father. We need to be cut to the heart. We want to be transformed. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ that we can represent you well, not just when we come here to church and sing songs together, which is a glorious thing, but in the world that we live, in our daily life, we want to represent you well, even when we face injustice, even when much is asked of us, even when we're taken advantage of. We want to represent your grace, your love, and your peace, and your joy in all situations. So work in our hearts through this text, and continue to work through us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.